When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages we hear them, speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, ah, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the 11, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and, in, and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel of our Lord. A blessed Pentecost to all who are gathered here today in person and online as well. This is a day of renewal, a day of rebirth in the church. And not just in our congregation, of course, but in the church, the whole church. A day of excitement, a day of leaning forward and wondering what is God doing? What new thing is the Spirit calling us into? We often talk about this day as the birthday 
of the church. But I actually kind of think that might make us sort of look back, just kind of look back at this story that's depicted in our slide here of those tongues of fire and that wind coming upon those disciples in that particular day, some kind of nostalgia for those miraculous events that God used to do back there in the past. Perhaps a better way to talk about Pentecost would be to call it the rebirth day of the church, that it is a rebirth, a rebirthing, a renewal, a time of excitement and joy, because the wind of the, and the fire of God's Holy Spirit continue to move and to fill us this day as much as it did on that day with the disciples. It's just as present now as ever. And as much as it did in the thousands that were baptized following this event, if we were to continue to go into Acts, it's hard to know where to stop in this second chapter of Acts, but if we were to go into Peter's preaching, his sermon, this guy who's never really known what to say before, or if he does, he says the wrong thing, suddenly launches into this beautiful call, this beautiful witness of God's promises. And there are Pentecost events again and again in the book of Acts, which shows us they continue to be with us today. God is not some passive ant farmer who has stepped away and is sort of viewing what happens down here. But God is a dynamic presence moving within our lives and the life of the world. Many of you know what that looks like. Your stories tell it. Well, Pentecost didn't actually start in the book of Acts today. It didn't start on this day that we remember. It was actually a Jewish festival that started way before as a celebration of the, of the harvest and loaves of bread would be brought forth and offered. And then that celebration eventually kind of evolved into a celebration of the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so it, it kind of originated with this, this giving of the law, the bread of God in a sense. And as Jesus sat with his disciples and he extended the covenant Right to center on his body and blood, not eliminate the old covenant, but extend that. This is the new covenant, a new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people. So now Pentecost extends that celebration of the giving of the law to the outpouring as well of God's Spirit. Now obviously God's Spirit existed before this particular day, but it always seemed to be more confined to particular people prophets, or perhaps a rare good king in the history of God's people, or someone else of some kind of importance. And now on this day, what Moses longed for, back in the story where, where uh, folks were coming to Moses and they said, hey, Moses, there are people that say they have God's spirit, and, and they're speaking on their own and, and not according to, to you know, how God's speaking through you. And Moses says, oh man, I wish that God do that. I wish the Spirit would be poured on on all these folks, which is his way of saying, I am so tired of having to handle all this stuff myself. <laughs> and again, in the prophet Joel, which we hear quoted in our reading for today, that the Spirit is poured out and it's so expansive. The young men and women will, will speak and the old and the young and even the slaves and the free God's Spirit will be poured out without limitation. That, that vision that Joel saw and longed for now happens and continues to happen this day. 
the Spirit of God is poured out on the disciples. And yes, if we follow in Acts, we'll see it poured out as people are baptized and they receive the Spirit. We'll see it poured out then and extended to the Gentiles, which causes all kinds of debate. But yes, indeed, that's where God's Spirit is going. God is doing something new, and the church recognizes it and moves. So what happens on this day? Well, if you remember last week, we got a replay of Jesus' ascension into heaven in the, book, in the first part of this book of Acts, in the first chapter. And the disciples are told by the messengers who are present with them to stop looking up into heaven and to wait for this day, this Pentecost day, for the coming of the promised Spirit of God to be poured out upon them. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the outpouring of the Spirit. And it's almost, in this event, it's almost like a Wizard of Oz sort of scene, right? There's this wind that moves through and these disciples who are in a house suddenly seem to find themselves just outside among all of these people who have journeyed to Jerusalem for this Pentecost celebration, the Jewish Pentecost celebration. And these rush of wind just kind of blows the walls away and, and there they are amidst the people and the tongues of fire descend and suddenly they're just there in the middle of everything with those people who are gathered from all these surrounding nations. Eric H.F. Law uh, of the Kaleidoscope Institute, um, centers a lot of his speaking and a lot of his writing on what he calls the miracle of the tongue, but also the miracle of the ear. Now, we focus on the miracle of the tongue, this, this miraculous event, these tongues of fire, these disciples able to speak in different languages. But he says the miracle of the ear is also key. These disciples who have, at this point, relatively no power have no status really in their society, suddenly they can speak, and suddenly they do speak. I'm reminded of being in uh, the hills of Guatemala, and I was there with, with students, of course. We were on a youth trip, and a lot of these students were like four-year AP Spanish students. Now, the language of the people, the main language of the people we were with was Quiche, which is, uh, which is a dialect that is, it isn't Spanish, right? It's a Mayan dialect, but... Uh, but most of the men could also speak uh, Spanish because they were oftentimes taking their wares down into the city and needed to speak both languages. And these AP students who had all this AP, you know, top-notch four years of Spanish would refuse to speak to folks in Spanish. And I was like, come on, you guys. And I'm over there with my, and I'm not kidding about this, my B-average two years of, of high school Spanish. Ninth and tenth grade, I took the exact requirement in high school and I got out. Almost didn't graduate from college because I had a C-plus in one of my, in one of my uh, semesters. But anyway, they were going to make me take another language. But I'm trying to, like, say things, and they're laughing at me because they're like, oh, my gosh, Pastor Jonathan, your Spanish is horrible. I'm like, I know. I'm you guys do it, right? So there's one thing to have the spirit, to have the language to do it, and there's another thing to actually do it. Well, the, the disciples both receive that spirit and they actually act upon it. Peter, especially in a powerful way, if you want to read on here. But there's also then those who do have power. There are those who have the, the status, the, the wealth, the ability to journey from all of these different lands. We could read modern, you know, from Afghanistan and from Syria, and those would be the modern-day equivalents. They've journeyed all this way. They have the means to do that. They have the power. They are usually the ones who get to speak, who get 
to be heard. And yet, in God's spirit, there's also the miracle of the ear that they are able to hear what the disciples are saying and to be transformed by this new thing that God is doing. Eric Law talks about this on a kind of power wheel where if you find yourself kind of on the bottom, kind of as the lesser, you may need to pick up the miracle of the tongue and speak to those around you. And if you find yourself in a place of power on that power wheel, perhaps it's time for you to close your mouth and to open your ears and to listen to those from below. We can look to Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., to many others who spoke with the breath and the fire of the Spirit from the bottom to spoke to those in power that they might hear the new thing God was doing. But it isn't just for them. We speak as Christians in a world where the church's influence has drastically been reduced, where the message needs new messengers, not just to recruit more to a Sunday pew, but to offer life and salvation to a world where the miracles of both the tongue and the ear, to me, are severely lacking. In fact, I wonder if the miracle of the tongue and the miracle of the ear today could spark a revival in the church. <gasps> a revival in the Lutheran church? My goodness, will there at least be a bulletin and an order of worship? <laughs> I don't know. As Pastor Bill pointed out last week, and he kind of points this out all the time, by the way, it's a worthy soapbox. This is where we get the goods, the promises of God. And the tongue in reading and preaching is key, and the ear in hearing what the Spirit gifts through the Word is incredibly key. But I wonder also if we who are so well-fed in this place can offer something to the world as the church that may offer a kind of renewal or revival. A kind of renewal that says to others, wait, wait, this is different. What is that? I want some of that. Because here's the thing. Maybe I'm being cynical, but the world around me, or at least the Western or United States mainstream cultural world, offers me anything but a miracle of the tongue and the, of the ear. The world invites me to yell, to scream my truth, making sure I am heard. No outside spirit, just something within me, all this pressure actually upon me to find that particular voice that will be louder than the other voices or more intriguing, intriguing than the other voices around me. The supposed miracle of the tongue really is simply arrogance and a lot of volume. And the supposed miracle of the ear is for me to sit in an echo chamber of the like-minded. That doesn't sound very miraculous to me. I don't know about you. In sharp contrast, the Spirit offers me humility and openness. Not shyness. The proclamation has power and needs to be proclaimed. But humility and understanding this message is God's, not mine. And if you want a history of people who weren't that great at telling God's message, you could read the Bible. You know, Moses, Peter, etc., 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 Balaam. I mean, all kinds of folks all over the place. But when that spirit has come upon them as it has in us, they are suddenly able to speak 
They suddenly find themselves in situations where they have the opportunity to speak or to listen. Because openness also, humility and openness that God offers us, openness also to hear, to understand. In fact, in our modern world, maybe it's the ear that needs to precede the tongue on most occasions, right? We listen, we understand, and then when we are invited, we speak. Because the Spirit will speak through us, and in a variety of languages, not just Spanish and French and Tagala and all kinds of other languages, but engineer and athlete and educator. God's promise in Christ is universal, but we get to translate it. Now, we can do it poorly. Like if I went up to a bunch of uh, my daughter's friends, perhaps, at Ridgetop Middle School and said, like, oh, my gosh, you guys, like, Harry Styles is so fire. Like, he is so Gucci, right? I mean, he is lit. Zac Efron's okay, but he's still kind of like last year. You know who really slays, though, is Jesus. Now, I actually might do that. <laughs> As a joke, at least maybe the first part of it. But that's awful. Don't do that, Pastor Jonathan. I'd probably get a response, you know, like, okay, boomer, you are so totally chuggy, which is, by the way, a word I had to look up. But when I was a pastor in my first call, one of my favorite moments, like I'm expecting all the teenagers to like run away now, but <laughs> one of my favorite, favorite moments was we had this lock-in planned. And I, there was this kid who was kind of, he was kind of left by his parents. They, were, they just ignored him pretty much. And so I would pick him up sometimes on the way to church for worship or, or other things. And I picked him up at this lock-in and we were supposed to have several kids who came, but the only others that came were these two twin boys who were brand new to Christianity. I mean, never set a foot in the church. Their parents, I met their parents once, but they never came. It was these boys, these, these twin boys who came. They were drawn by God's spirit to God's word and God's promises. But it was just those three, and we were supposed to plan a youth worship service. And I was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, dang it, where is everybody? But the three of us gathered, and we went ahead, and we planned the service. And we're going through the, I'm going through these slides, and I'm, okay, this element and this element, what do you guys want to do here, and this and this and this. And these twin boys are sort of like, why do we say that? Why, why do we do that? Now, I'm a pastor, man, I'm working with kids. It's my gift. I suck all the air out of the room. All of God's spirit gets sucked into me, and I'm ready to just explain in terms they will not understand why we say and do these particular things. And as I'm sucking all of the air that I think is the Spirit of God, the actual Spirit of God is falling upon this other kid who I brought with me to, to this lock-in. And he says, well, actually, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And he starts to speak in their language, a language they can understand. Their heads start to nod. And I take my tongue out of my mouth, and I sit on it. <laughs> and I listen. Because he's speaking with the Spirit of God. He's speaking God's word. Last week, the disciples asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, is this the time when you're going to restore Israel? They've been looking for that Messiah King. They've been looking for that person to sit on David's throne. Is this the time now, Jesus? Now that you're resurrected, now, 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 is this the time? And Jesus ascends into heaven and pours out upon them the Spirit. I think today is the answer to that question. Wherever we speak, Wherever we listen, whomever we listen to or speak to, here's what unifies us. 
Jesus does not sit on the throne because God is not restoring Israel and actually beyond Israel to the Gentile world, thanks be to God, unless any of you are, are of Jewish descent, right? We've been, God's spirit reached into that world as well. But in Christ and in the spirit, God has restored Israel and the whole world, not around land, not around a building, a temple, a church, but around God's spirit which continues to move in dynamic and powerful and amazing ways that surprise us, even on the inside, sometimes by the voices that have been kept on the outside, and sometimes surprise us as we speak words that we know are not our own, but give life to others who need to hear something different, something life-giving, something different than the world offers. And so may we speak, and may we hear, and may the church continue to thrive. In Christ's name, amen.